Hey guys, Michael Raziel here. I'm the host to Our Athletes, and today we have an absolutely incredible interview. We have Lauren Williams. She is the first female athlete to medal at both the winter and the summer games. She's, she was USA track and field, and she is of USA bobsledding. Um, Lauren is an incredible athlete. She's won multiple medals. Uh, she's just she's currently doing some amazing things now, which you'll you'll listen to in the episode. But Lauren's unbelievably inspirational. She has her own podcast, so I hope you guys check that out if you're interested. And she's just done some super super cool things. So this was one of the first episodes I was able to record. I think she's an unbelievable person, obviously an unbelievable athlete, one of five people in the United States, or one of the first five people in the United States to go and medal at both games. So hope you guys enjoy it. Check it out. Enjoy it. Thank you guys so much for listening, and I hope you have a wonderful episode. All right. And today, our special guest, Lauren Williams. She is a former summer and winter Olympic game athlete. She's from Rochester, Pennsylvania. She attended the University of Miami because we all know it's about the U. There we go. Uh, She's one of five athletes to medal in both the winter and summer games. Um, She has a gold from the London 2012 games, silver in the 04 Athens games, and a silver at the recent 2014 Sochi Games. Lauren is now the founder of Worth Winning, a financial institution that caters directly to athletes and young professionals. She's been doing this for about a year and a half, so right around April of 2016 is when she started. So we're extremely excited to have Lauren on today. So Lauren, how are you? I am doing wonderful. I am dealing with the hustle and bustle of being an entrepreneur, but I have made it here and I'm ready to chat with you. Love it. Love it. Love it. You and me both were, uh, I guess we're, we're doing a little entrepreneurial spirit, both sides of us. So it's a lot of fun. It's very difficult as I'm sure you found, but Hey, let's, uh, let's just keep kicking it and see what happens. Right? Yes. You got to keep riding the roller coaster. Yes. Oh my gosh. The ups and downs of this roller coaster, man. It does not get any more ridiculous. Some days I'm like, no, I'm just going to like probably crawl into a ditch and not worry about it. And other days I'm like, I'm going to be the greatest thing that ever existed. So it's a, it's a lot of fun. And I'm sure you find something similar to the ups and downs there, right? For sure. One of the best and worst things about being an entrepreneur is that you can in fact climb into bed and say, I quit today. Mm-hmm. But if you do that too frequently, then you're not going to eat. So Yeah, yeah. Eating. I found that's pretty, um, pretty necessary. I found eating, sleeping, drinking water, breathing air. Those things are all kind of you know, connected at some point. So I do believe that, uh, that eating is definitely necessary and I need money to eat, I found. So that's also a little frustrating. So <laughs> this is awesome. We will definitely get to your business. I think that is extremely, extremely cool what you're doing and how you're doing it, especially because as I told you prior, I actually used to be a financial advisor myself. Never got my CFP, but I was pretty close to it. That's a whole nother story. But Lauren, if you don't mind, just kind of fill us in on your story from how you got to you know, Rochester, Pennsylvania, all the way up into uh, about now. You can give us a little synopsis if you don't mind. All right. Can I tell my life story in five minutes or less? Hmm, Ooh, let's see. This is a nice I challenge. Am, <laughs> I am born in uh, actually Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania originally. Oh, man. No, so Rochester's Wikipedia, right. Wikipedia you got me? No, you didn't get it right. Oh, I mean, you didn't get it wrong. Okay, That's where I'm all right. raised. All right. All right. I'll take it. I'll take it. <laughs> born in Pittsburgh and raised between Pittsburgh and Detroit, basically, because Uh, My parents split up when I was three years old. So I moved to Detroit and I was there from kindergarten to sixth grade. And then I moved back with my father from seventh to 12th grade into Rochester, Pennsylvania, which most people don't know where it is. So you just say, oh, I'm from Pittsburgh. Mm -hmm. Glad he's here. (laughs) Definitely. Small town, 88, my graduating class. Uh, Not a lot to do. And so track and field was something that was fun to keep me busy and outdoors. Mm -hmm. 
depending on who you ask, my mother will tell you that I got home faster than the family German shepherd one day. And that's how she knew she needed to get me into uh, a track program in a more organized fashion. That... Dad, on the other hand, says that we were at the Carnegie Science Center and uh, there was a Flojo hologram. And I do remember this. So I, I, I tend to lean on my dad's side because, I mean, I know I did have a German shepherd, but getting home faster than a German shepherd, uh, I'm not so sure. That, that's a that, that I'm sorry to cut you off because I'm, I'm excited for this story but that is one of you know getting home faster than the German Shepherd that's one of those stories that people will be telling for hundreds of years kind of thing one of those tall tales and pretty soon it's going to be like a velociraptor so I'm exactly exci- I'm so I, that's why I still tell it because I'm like it is the more interesting of the two but yeah is it I don't know we'll see we'll see right. we'll, we'll, I'm curious what the next uh next fastest dog is that you'll be home Right. I have a Great Dane right now. It's pretty fast. He's an Olympic go. status Great Dane for sure. Love it. Love it. Anyway, I'm sorry. Sorry for <laughs> So, yeah, my dad who says, uh, Flojo hologram. We're at the Carnegie Science Center. There was a Flojo hologram. I raced the hologram. I beat the hologram. Couldn't have been set at world record pace, of course, but I mean, maybe it was. Maybe I broke the world record when I was like nine and no one ever even saw it. And then I only ran 1088 in my career, but whatever. Uh, and that's how he knew he needed to get me into a, a track and field program. Uh, started to have some success, got a little interested in it. But when I really got interested in track and field was when I realized that it was going to be a means for me to get a free education. Mm-hmm. So I come from a family of five sisters, two brothers. Uh, we didn't have a lot of money in our household. There was no way that eight people were going to be put through college. And so I had been really focused on getting academic scholarship monies. Um, up until the point that I started to show promise in track and field and these letters started to show up in the mail and academic letters don't really show up in the mail I guess or maybe I wasn't smart enough to get you know recruited via academics but I was planning on just you know applying based on my academics and then I was like oh you guys want me to just like run in this circle all these letters are coming from these schools (laughs) I can totally keep doing this and you're going to pay for my education count me in uh, so I chose the University of Miami because it was too far to drive uh, between home and I wanted to make sure I got far enough away from my family. <laughs> and then also it was sunny. Uh, it was October when I went on my college visit. It was first frost in Pittsburgh and I got sunburn in at the <laughs> University of Miami. I was going to say, you probably got sunburned down there in October, huh? That's awesome. Yeah. And some people say, can black people actually burn? Yes. Black people can, in fact, get sunburned. Mm-hmm. My, my nose was peeling. And I was like, why would I ever want to be somewhere that it could snow in October when I could be somewhere getting sunburn in October? I ask myself that question every single day. <laughs> you can move. Just mm-hmm. do it. Oh, my girlfriend won't let me. So that's kind of, mm. of it's, it's, a, it's an ongoing fight. Sunny and 75 every day in San Diego just sounds so perfect. I'll get there one day. But until then, New Jersey's not that bad. I'll live. <laughs> I'm going to just uh, pray for you in the meantime. Cross your fingers. I appreciate it. So University of Miami uh, really just wanted to repay my coach for the opportunity to get a free education and was really excited about that, uh, that opportunity because I knew that was important. That was going to take me to, you know, the next part of my life. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to repay her by working hard on the track. And by doing so, I had some success. I didn't really have goals or aspirations of becoming an Olympian mm-hmm. or anything mm-hmm. like that. But I did start to get like this hunger for winning uh, my junior year. And so my, my freshman year, I made it to nationals, was somewhere in the middle of the pack. Um, sophomore year was a little bit more uh, in the middle of the pack, you know, a little bit more competitive, but didn't win. And my junior year was like, okay, like, I'm a, I'm a win. Like, I'm, I'm not showing up here to be in the middle of the pack. 
and kind of like buckled down in preparation for that. And so not only did I win my junior year, but I ran the second fastest time in the world. And that's when I had to turn my focus to becoming a professional athlete. Um, it was 2004. So it was the Olympic year. I'm currently the fastest American and people are like, Hey, who is she? What is she doing? Is she, is she going to be the next Olympic hopeful? The answer was yes. Wasn't it? The answer was yes. Nice. Got it. <laughs> it, was, got it. Like, it was barely yes, but it was yes. I mm-hmm. got third at the trial. So mm-hmm. despite being the fastest American up to that point, um, three people make the team and I was, I was the third. So it could have been no, and life could have taken on a different trajectory trajectory, but the answer was yes. And then I had an opportunity to redeem myself. I was the fastest American at the Olympics that year. Uh, but I was the second fastest person. So yeah. And that's where my Olympic journey began. Love it. That is, yeah. Every, every, so far, every Olympic story and Olympic journey that I've heard, um, everybody always has that kind of fork in the road moment and everybody remembers it exactly like you did down to a T. Hey, I was third place. I'll take it. That means I got on the team. Would you look at that? You were the fastest American that year, second fastest in the, uh, in the world that year. So it's, uh, or, or at the Olympics that year. So it's, it's so cool hearing those and just kind of, you know, this, the, the, the hair on the back of my neck raises just cause that stuff is, it is literally life changing. Like it's, it's insane. Like to think back how many years that was and you know, okay, so, Hey, you got fourth that year. Then what happens? As you said, everything's going to be completely different. So I'm happy that you got third. I'm happy that you got silver that year. And, uh, you know, we, we keep rocking and rolling. We keep going. So uh, I think that was a little over five minutes, but half of that was because I was interjecting with some thoughts <laughs> along the way. So I'll give you it. I'll say you passed that test. So we are, we are good to go. You won round one. Let's see. I mean, it's my many- whole life story. Like we're talking like, well, we only got to the beginning of the Olympics. We didn't really get to like. That's true. Yeah. Days. Yeah. Actually, you know, do you want to, you want to take us through, um, you know, the rest of the time up to present day and we'll kind of, you know, I'll ask my questions along the way what your wish is my command love it hey this is your podcast i'm just here to help you tell your story that's all (laughs) so we're in 2004 uh i'm kind of like a deer in headlights to the (laughs) point where you know i'm 20 years old i didn't expect this i feel all this pressure to be the fastest american and to go win the olympic games on on behalf of america and it was just kind of like overwhelming. And I just remember my dad kind of having a talk with me, like seeing that I was overwhelmed and saying, you know what? None of this matters. Like we've had a great time getting here. Uh, you've gone far above and beyond, you know, anything you had hoped or planned for. And it's really about reaching your full potential. So go out there, do your best. If you're, if you really put your best foot forward there, then you've reached your full potential. Don't worry about what place you get or what everybody else is going to think. Or if you failed America, like that's not a thing. Like, you can only fail yourself. So. Oh, geez. That is, that is a pep talk for the ages. Love it. Right. <laughs> um, and it did, it gave me, it kind of quelled that anxiety inside of me and allowed me to just get out there and compete. And I think that's what allowed me to actually get that silver medal. I, I, I had the, the training and the, mm-hmm fitness but you know your mind is a very powerful part of being able to compete as an athlete and he was he did a really good job of helping me get my mind right absolutely so so a couple questions on that one what was it like walking in you know opening ceremonies just kind of as you said you were deer in the headlights at that time but like what I've heard stories of people not remembering it they blacked out they were you know so overwhelmed like what was that like and just being able to you know wear the colors go out there and know that you're competing and you can't fail um you know for America and really being able to kind of represent our country I'll say uh, I I remember a lot of it very clearly. And I think one of the things that I I learned over time and, 
you know, one of the things I stress when I give talks is, you know, that this whole thing is really about the journey. It's not about like any one result. And I think what I remember so clearly about walking through the opening ceremonies is, you know, like it's, we're here and this feels awesome, but like the wave of awesome kind of coming and going because you're present in that moment and you're meeting other people and you're walking around and, you know, oh, by the way, in particular in Athens, it was like a 12 noon start that you had to get on a bus and it was like 12 midnight before we actually walked into the stadium. So it was just a miserably mm. long day. Mm-hmm you took a bus to the middle of nowhere. Then you were sitting in a stadium and, you know, we had to be fully dressed and made up and ready to go. And it was just kind of like, are we ever going to get a turn? And so we also didn't get to see anything, you know, everything that was happening before it was our turn to go out. We didn't see any of that. Um, And so it kind of diminishes the experience to a certain extent that, you know, it's, it's been 12 hours, been a long day. You're in another country, you're suffering from jet lag. You're nervous because you're getting ready to compete at some point. Um, but then it also all goes away in the moment you walk into the stadium because you're like, wow, like, this is badass. Like, I'm here. I did it. But then, in the, like, five minutes later, it's like, okay, we walked around. Now what mm-hmm. do we do? Like, so you go through these waves of, like, whoa, 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 this is super high. And, you know, no one else has ever done this. And I'm so grateful for this experience, too. You know, like, I'm still a human being. I'm still breathing. I still need to pee. Like, <laughs> I've been holding my bladder. For, you know, like, you're, there's uh-huh. a, like, realness to – the moment in addition to the surrealness of the moment if that makes sense yeah so it also sounds like that you're um you know as we were talking about before the the highs and lows of being an entrepreneur it sounds like you're very um adept and very understanding of what that's what that's like um yeah i, I like to think that i am mm-hmm. now that i'm older and wiser uh-huh, there we go there we go love it all right so that was 04 um tell us a little bit about 08 okay 08 uh it was a far different like approach mm-hmm. i felt you know the the young lady that competed in 04 and and beat me was no longer competing so i felt like i was like you know the next american you know the next person from the previous games and i need to defend my title if you will mm-hmm. like everyone is ex- ex- expecting me to win now in the in the absence of her and you know someone's paying me to do this now i hadn't really like signed and become a professional uh leading into the games and so it was, it was a lot more pressure, a lot more, this is my job, this is my profession, mm-hmm. uh, this is what someone is paying me to do, so I better show up and execute. And I think that pressure um, didn't go very well for me. Uh, there was a lot of anxiety around just being able to get out there and compete. And then mm-hmm. there was a race, you know, there was, something went wrong in our race. To this mm-hmm. day, I'm not really clear on what happened. It was, it's still kind of foggy for me, but most people describe it as like the, the starter held us um, and then somebody rocked in the blocks and then we all took off. So everybody, no one got a clean start. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was in great, great shape. So it was really hard for me because I ended up uh, fourth place, which if you don't know, it is the absolute worst place you can get at an Olympic game. Mm-hmm. You would far rather be dead last, not make it out of the first round or eighth place and just didn't have a chance of winning than fourth. Mm-hmm. And the thing yeah. that was Keep going. No, 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 you go. Oh, and the thing that was really uh, tough for me was in the the previous year, 2007, um, I was in a race that was kind of like considered a dead heat or a tie uh, between Veronica Campbell and and myself. And so after about over an hour of them kind of debating back and forth about who won, initially they put someone's name up on the scoreboard and they changed it. They changed names three or four times. Mm. And then it ended up being in, like I said, appeal process where it took over an hour for them to decide she won and I lost. And it was just 
one of those things that was very close to call. Well, in 08, they immediately put up gold medal and then two silver medals, like before you walked off the track. Mm-hmm. And so I'm like, how in two seconds did you decide that they're both getting a silver medal? And it took you over an hour to decide that we both were not gold medalists um, the previous year. Mm-hmm. And, and it, it matters for our income in addition to, you know, I worked my butt off for this. I don't Absolutely. Know, cuss on this podcast? Yeah, you're more than welcome. If we have to, it's fine, please. I want real emotions. I want raw emotions. Give them to me, Lamar. Come on. I've already said butt, so I'm going to stick with butt. <laughs> okay, sounds good. Sounds good. <laughs> but I did, you know? And so it made it uh, even that much harder to, to be okay with the fourth place finish because I felt now it took me back to the previous year where, um, like I said, the finish was oh so close and it, like I said, hugely affected my earnings. And then this time I'm out of the medal count altogether. So, you know, you get zero dollars and zero cents in this, in this regard, no medal, no money, period. Absolutely. Yeah. Fourth place that, um, you know, that's such an awful, awful place to be in. As you said, obviously the monetary portion of it is extremely difficult, but then also just the fact that you, you know, as you said, you worked your butt off, you were in better shape, you had everything, you had the pressure, you needed to win, you wanted to win, you expected to win. And then I, it almost sounds like for the next four years, you realize you didn't win. Um, sounds like extenuating, extenuating circumstances, but it's just one of those things where, you know, did that motivate you? I'm assuming for a time, it kind of brought you down a little bit. But after a little while, was that a huge motivating and, and driving factor um, going into 2012? Uh, no, it, it definitely had a, a huge effect on me. Um, another part of the story that, you know, not many, many people know is that I beat the Olympic champion a week later. Oh, or, man. I won't say it's a week later, but the pretty you, much the race yeah, right after the games. Oh, I gosh. Yeah. Um, so that oh, kind of like added salt to the wound. Yeah. Oh, my God. And then, um, you know, the, the thing that other, you know, that other people don't consider is like, you know, your, the story is only what people are telling. Mm-hmm. And the, the story that's being told is the Olympic story. But in the midst of that, my dad got sick and he was not able to attend this Olympic Games. He was there with me in Athens. Um, and no one told me that he was sick until after I competed in the 100, but it was before the relay. And he basically said like, hey, I'm not responding to like my, my cancer has come out of remission. It's not responding to this drug and I might die soon. And I'm just like, wait, what? Um, Mm -hmm. So dealing with that, I was also in school getting my master's degree and I had put my classes on hold for like, you know, you can put it for like a six week period. So the Tuesday, like after competing in, in, where was I? Beijing, I was back in school. Um, And so, you know, you, to pile all those things on like a ton of bricks, you know, we didn't do well in the relay. Mm -hmm. I got fourth in the hundred. My dad is near death and no one told me and I'm over in China. Um, And oh, by the way, you're enrolled in a statistics class for your MBA. Like, F Fun. my life. Yeah, that sounds, yeah, everything at once. That's you, I guess when it rains, it pours. That's usually a pretty good analogy to use there, huh? Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, it just took a kind of a, a lot longer term effect. You think, mm-hmm. you, know, you know, maybe that one thing I could have bounced back a lot quicker, but uh, my dad ended up passing away uh, October. Um, so that, you know, kind of had a longer effect that ran over into 2009. Mm-hmm. I started to just kind of, you know, second guess, like, why am I even here? Like, why does this matter? Um, you know, what am I really doing? Someone's paying me a bunch of money to run a, in a straight line for 11 seconds or less. Like, why is that meaningful to this world or to me? Um, and, you know, like, and it's not about the money. Like, it, it, it truly, you know, was not about, it was like, what, what is the purpose of being here? Because the money doesn't make you feel good. And that's one of the things I think um, sometimes people say like, oh, well, you got these earnings. And, you know, a lot of people focus on like, 
the, your ability to earn because of this thing. And yeah, you'll quickly learn when you get to a point where you're, you're earning far more than you could spend that it's like, what the hell does money matter? It doesn't, you know, you got to really have purpose in life. And I took the next year. So I, I made it through 2009 and how I did it. I have no idea. But uh, my coach kind of said to me after I got fifth place at world championships and she's just like, I'm not going to continue to coach you like this. Um, you are not here. You know, you, you are elite athlete. You have tons of talent. Um, there's no doubt that you can make it back to the top of the podium, but mentally you are checked out and I'm not going to coach you like this. If you don't want to do this, you shouldn't be here. Um, and I appreciate her to this day for that because I think a lot of other people would have just, you know, forced me to press on. Mm -hmm. And so I ended up taking the 2010 season completely off to kind of, like you said, uh, I dive deeper into myself and understand what my purpose was and what interest I had outside of competing and, you know, just what is life all about. And, uh, I, I did decide to ultimately return to sport and, you know, kind of just do it differently, like do it in a way that matters to me versus matters about the results or what the sponsor is going to think, or, you know, I wasn't doing it for everyone else. I was, I, I found the way to do it for myself. So, so uh, to follow up on that, what were the answers to some of those questions that you had for yourself? Um, I was very interested in finance. So I was a finance major at the University of Miami. Um, mm -hmm. I finished this master's degree. So I started in 08 and I finished it in 09. Um, and I, I, it wasn't real clear what I was going to use it for, but education mm -hmm. was still something that was very important to me. And so okay. what I did a lot during that time period off was start interviewing people in my network. And so it was one of those matters where you go to these networking events, these big sponsor deals, and you meet all these CEOs and executive. And so I had access to a lot of people that had a lot of money. Um, and I wanted to know, like, how did you get here? And I, what I learned is like, no one had this real clear, nice linear path mm -hmm, to, mm -hmm. you know, I studied hard, I got my degree and I got this great job and I worked my way to the top. Like that was not what happened. You know, like people owned like hotels and things. It wasn't just like, I stay at nice hotels. Like, no, I own a nice hotel. Mm -hmm. um, and so I started asking, like, what's the meaning? And it was so not rooted in, like I said, money once again. And it was um, all these different purposes that they attached themselves to. And those were the things that really kept them going. And I was like, what's that thing for me? Uh, and I knew it was somehow related to finance, but I hadn't quite figured it out at this point. Mm -hmm. Very cool. Very cool. So that was 09, took a little time off. 010, you come back. 2012. What's 10 was then? the year off and then oh i'm sorry i'm sorry back. 10 okay so 11 you're back so you had a, a little while to get ready for 2012 how did that how did that shape up for you um that didn't go so well so uh if any, look anyone's thinking about taking a year off as an athlete my suggestion is don't mm -hmm. um unless you're really ready to deal with you know the possibilities of not being the same athlete when you return mm -hmm. um you just think you take for granted like i'm, I'm elite it's gonna go perfectly and for me i was just kind of like all systems were not firing the way that they should be. And so it took me so long to get back into the, the go with the, the mm -hmm. all systems firing phase that, you know, I, I sacrificed the 2011 season. It was just poor. Um, and then that, that really got into my confidence. I think for the 2012 season, I don't, I don't think that I wasn't fit in 2012. I think that I mentally was exhausted uh, because it shook my confidence the 2011 season. Mm -hmm. um, so I did, I, I ended up making the team as a member of the relay, but I didn't make it for my open event but I was in a completely different place by then. So like I said, 04, deer in headlights, um, 08, feeling all the pressure of being a professional athlete. In 2012, it was just kind of like older, wiser, purpose-filled, and um, wanting to do my part to make Team USA the best. And mm -hmm. 
So the backstory there is in 2004 and 2008, we had botched handoffs for the relay. Well, 2012, as a member of only making the relay, I was like, what we're not going to do is F this up again. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and I was the veteran. I was the one who had been on the team three times, whereas most of the other members were brand new. And so it was like, what can I give to them to help them understand how uh, we can create good chemistry and actually get that stick around? And I think I did a really good job of, like you said, encouraging them, you know, trying to create a cohesive environment and, and knowing and understanding what didn't go right in twenty in oh in oh four and oh eight um to help them succeed in 2012 and it worked right it worked uh i only ran the first round of the relay i ran the anchor leg it was super rewarding it was like you said far better than uh you know winning an open event gold medal because it was like we one of these things that uh like you said it 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 kind of evaded us the two previous times Mm -hmm. Uh, and I was a part of both of those botched handoffs. It wasn't like it just happened on the track. It was like it was me to the other person or the other person to me that messed it up. Um, so to be able to bring the stick home and say, like, hey, we've made it through this first round that we didn't do the last time um, and then hand it off to those girls and, and feel excited about letting them go compete and break the world record and know that they were well rested. Uh, it was just a really interesting feeling to know that you did your part versus, mm-hmm. oh my God, I didn't, I, I wasn't fast enough to be able to compete in the final or, oh my goodness, I, you know, I missed out on the world record. That should have been mine. I didn't have any of those feelings because I really knew what I contributed and that I need to play my role. Mm-hmm. Heck yeah. And then, so now we're kind of, I guess, getting into a transition period, obviously with the, the 14, the winter games that you went to, what, what kind of changed after 2012? I mean, obviously it sounds like you were on the decline naturally on the decline of your, your, you know, sprinting running career. What then made you say like, wait, I'm not finished. No, I need, I need to keep going. How did you then transition into, you know, going to the winter games? Opportunity knocked. And mm. Again, I'm look at that. A big proponent of like when opportunity knocks, like open the damn door. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> I was literally at an airport uh, having bumped into Lolo Jones and we were both headed to the same race. And I read an article about how she had tried it. And I was just like, Oh, how did that work? Like, how did you get into it? And she was like, Lauren, it was amazing. Um, you just need to be a powerful athlete and they'll teach you everything else you need to know. And I was like, Oh, that sounds interesting. And I'm like, well, I don't know what I'm going to do next anyway. And this is June of what I know is my last season Mm -hmm. competing and uh the the trials for bobsled were in july which i didn't know at the time and i was just thinking like oh that could be something fun for me to do life after sport Mm -hmm. and she's like no it's the olympic year and you can make the olympic team and i'm like i ain't trying to make the olympic team girl like i just think it would be fun to do try it out have a good time i mean i'm not doing anything anyway right right and so i sent an email and um i actually made it just in time for the last tryout last opportunity there would have been before you know they eliminated people and, and started the official process. And I got to the team trials and, and got third and, you know, kind of shocked everyone else in addition to myself and was like, well, let's go ride this roller coaster, <laughs> you know, get off one ride and ride on the next. This one's a little bit more similar to a roller coaster too, with the track and everything. So that was probably, you probably a little bit closer there too. So that, that's just crazy. Again, another fork in the road, like, look at this, you know, anybody that's listening, as you said, if opportunity knocks, just open the damn door. I mean, like you're in an airport of all places, you're, you're, you know, your Olympic career is essentially over. Like you were, you were pretty, it seems like you were pretty um, understanding that the 20, 
uh, what am I looking for? Oh, the 2018 games? No, the 2016 games. That when they were pretty much out of the picture, that wasn't going to happen. So 2012 was the end. You were very happy with it. You got your gold medal. You're all for it. We're good to go. And then like, oh, wait, no. Why don't you just try this other thing that you've never done before in your life? You might be pretty good at it. And it turns out you are. Like, what, like, what are the chances of something like that happening? Especially as we were talking about earlier back in 2003 or, or 2002, whenever that was when you got third place. And then you were invited to actually be on the team and go to the the 04 games. Like now, both times you became an Olympic athlete was almost just, I don't want to call it happenstance. Obviously, you worked very hard, you know, create your own look, put yourself in good situations. But like, what are the chances? It's just an unbelievable story. I just think it's so, so cool. So you go to the 2014 games and you actually medal. Like, that's insane. Yes. (laughs) And not all, not just medal, but point one separated us from go yeah i'm still not over it yet sorry i'm good don't be you're salty for the rest of your life i hope you are let it drive you man like that is just like what are the again what are the chances like that's i just think that is so cool yeah we led for three rounds and there was no way i was going to put my head up and we were going to be not in first place but somehow it happened but in the grand scheme of things like you said once you get to the point of realizing that your whole life is a journey and that these are kind of all you know sorry to go with the, all the analogies, but a chapter in your life, you know, mm-hmm. your life is mm-hmm. the book and there's a chapter and there's a different story in every chapter. Um, and you start to embrace that. It's just like, Hey, that was, that meant something for, for some other part of my life. I'm going to look back on that and say, you know, blah, blah, blah about that. Mm-hmm. I haven't reached that blah, blah, blah moment yet, but like I can say for 2012, uh, the whole relay thing was preparing me to be a teammate on the 2014 team because Look at that. of course is a very individual sport mm-hmm. and we don't have a lot of um, skills or qualifications in the, in the team realm of things. If you had asked me if I was a team player, uh, you know, at any point up to the 2012 point, I would have said, of course I am. I, I get along well with others. But the reality was, was like, so you can able actually exercise that selflessness that is going to say, like you said, put the best team out there and not be bitter or angry about, like you said, not having competed. That was something that was a skill I needed to conquer um, that I, I am grateful that I did. But then also it played into heavily into what I was getting ready to bump into in 2014. So it made me better prepared to manage a lot of different personalities, to, you know, know my role, get in the right place and, you know, be quiet when it was time mm-hmm. and say sorry to others, all that kind of stuff. So the lesson of 2014, I'm not sure yet, but I know 2012 played into me being successful so 2014, so you got a couple more years till you'll figure out 2014, I guess, if in 2016, 2018, you figured out what 2012 was for. So I guess given another two years, you'll figure out the lesson from, uh, from 2014, I'm sure of it. Yeah, sooner or later, I will. Exactly, that's, Today, that's the goal. Not the day, though. Hey, we got some time, don't worry. We're, we're, we're still young, man. We got a while, that's not a problem. Um, so I definitely, you know, obviously I then want to get to the post-career post-career, post-career. Um, but first, I do want to ask just a couple questions about your Olympic career a little bit more. Obviously, you gave us an amazing story and kind of walked us through everything you've done. I'm sure there's even more to it that you've left out, but we're already starting to butt up against that time limit. Not even time limit, but just, you know, that that general time that we want to stop off. So being a multi-sport athlete, being one of five athletes to win two medals in or, or win a medal in the winter and summer games, does that is that something that you you tout a lot is that something that you try and tell everybody like what does that mean to you and how does that how has that helped you I guess with you know just in life in general one of the things that's really hard is knowing how to to use Mm -hmm. or leverage I Mm -hmm. guess to say though that title and 
I think a lot of Olympic athletes will follow my, it will agree that it's, it's just hard to, to, to be that thing, um, to walk in a room and only be that too. And mm-hmm. you suffer through like all these identity crises as you, you know, compete. And then also a lot, 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 when you're transitioning from sport to life after sport, and you're trying to define yourself outside of being an elite athlete. Um, and so for me, when I was transitioning, it was one of those things I never wanted to tell anyone. Mm-hmm. And people kept saying, like, you're burying the lead. You're, you know, you're not giving yourself the opportunity to make these, you know, meaningful connections. And I, in my brain, I'm like, why wouldn't they want to connect with me? Because I'm me. Like, why would they only want to connect with me or want to connect with me more? Because I'm the first American woman to get an earn a medal in the Summer and Winter Olympics. Um, and it was just, it's really been very hard to just kind of, to balance that. And of course, you don't walk up to someone either. It's, it's something that other mm-hmm. people they're like, why are you not shouting it from the rooftops? Mm-hmm, You're not mm-hmm. like, yo, Mike, um, nice to meet you. I'm Lauren, first American woman to medal in the Summer and Winter Olympics. Like, no one else mm-hmm. introduced themselves like that. So then you're like, you have to wait for it to come up in the conversation. And then when it finally does come up in the conversation, I'm not super pumped to talk about it because that's what it starts to dominate the conversation. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But then at the same time, it comes up and people are like, why didn't you tell me? And it's like, well, how the hell was I supposed to? Yeah, right. As you said, you don't walk up to people. Hey, Lauren, guess what I am? Like, you know, that doesn't that doesn't happen. So no, I I can completely understand. Like, that's pretty difficult to, um, you know, if you hold it on for too long, it's like, well, you're, you know, holding your cards, you're not playing them right. You know, if you you come out with it, you know, people are like, what do you Okay, geez, look at this person They'll fool themselves. So no, I can I can I mean, actually, I can't because again, I'm not the first woman to medal in both the summer and winter Olympics. So I really don't know what that's like. But I can understand and assume how difficult that is to kind of maneuver around in a conversation it's beyond hard to maneuver around a conversation and then like i said to really deal with who am i as a person in the midst mm-hmm. of maneuvering around those conversations because what happens is like you said people say oh so you know first american woman summer winter they you know run into this whole 20 minute spiel about asking you all these questions and then they say well what are you doing now and there was a period of time that i had no idea what i was doing now or what my next thing was going to be. I was just like, I'm, I'm trying to figure it out. And then it was like, oh, are you going to be a coach? Are you going to be a commentator? Um, are you going to be a personal trainer? Can you, can you train my kid? <laughs> and one of the most offensive things that a person can do, and they don't realize that they're doing it or trying to make small talk, but not realize that there's a person in front of you. Mm-hmm. And to really spend a moment thinking of me other than just the coolest thing you just heard about me five seconds ago. Mm-hmm. Because I have a finance degree and I have a master's degree in business and I couldn't coach my way out of a paper bag. Hmm. And it's just so condescending to people for people to think that because you're an athlete, the only thing you can do is something that is sports related. Uh, And it further makes you dive deeper into this identity crisis of who Mm -hmm. am I? Because everyone thinks I'm a dumb jock. Mm -hmm. Um, And like I said, it's it's no fault of theirs. You obviously have to be able to deal with your own identity or or be firm in who you are so that it doesn't affect you. But it definitely, if you're not firm, it deeply affects you for a while until you figure out who you are. Absolutely. I mean, that's definitely, I mean, you are not just the first woman to ever yada, 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 as we've said a hundred times now, and congratulations on that. Um, You're not just one of five athletes to ever do it. You know, you, that is part of you. Um, And I can see again, as you said, that identity crisis of people just assuming that's what you are and not everything. That's not just a piece of you. Like that is who you are. Um, It definitely could be difficult to deal with. And I'm happy that it seems like you're well, 
well past that now you're doing you, you figured it out you figure out how to how to utilize it and to your advantage and really just start crushing it in your current um current career and again i promise i'm going to get there i just want one one or one or two more questions about your olympic career one thing that I believe, as I told you, I don't think Olympic athletes get paid enough. They don't get enough recognition. We only notice you guys once every four years. In your case, you went to four different games once every two years for, for, for that, that small amount of time. But what, what is it like, you know, you're a 20 year old at your first games. Are you sponsored yet? Are you not sponsored yet? What is that whole process like? And how did it change over the 10 years period from 04 to 14? Um, for you to actually start obtaining that wealth, obviously in 2008, it sounded like you were, you were doing pretty well for yourself. What was that like through that part of the journey? Like considering that if you don't have money, you can't eat. If you don't have enough money, you can't get the proper nutrition or training, you know, so how just describe that whole journey or at least a synopsis of that journey as well on kind of how you had to maneuver that side while also making sure you're still one of the best athletes at the world or something. Yeah, one of the things that's going to be really important for us to figure out um, going forward to really do right by Olympic athletes is figuring out a compensation plan that comes from the USOC and also from the national governing body from which they compete. Um, Right now, the way it works, the USOC gives money to the national governing bodies, you know, based on their kind of earning potential, if you will, or importance. Uh, So, you know, some smaller sport might get, you know, $100,000 and have to stretch it out for every single thing. And then, you know, there's another sport that gets $5 million and needs to stretch it out. There's different numbers of athletes, you know, money is spread, spread out so differently and Mm -hmm. in an objective way or subjective. I don't Mm -hmm. know which one Mm -hmm. is the right term. I think it's subjective. Yeah. It's not, it's not even though. That's the, Mm -hmm. that's the thing. Um, And so you do, you have a lot of people that are pursuing their Olympic goals and their dreams and, you know, don't necessarily meet the criteria. And I think the easiest way to say like free agency in the NFL world is, you know, you don't have any support. You're just trying to make it. Mm -hmm. Uh, We have a lot more free, free agents in the Olympic world, but with a lot more promise. And so there needs to be some sort of criteria that helps you and um, feeds you and, and develops you if you are showing that promise, uh, so that you can have opportunities. Uh, the other part of it is that, like you said, there are some that, that do make money, but the way that we do make money is sponsorships. And so it's, you know, do you have a story? Do you have a brand? Do you have the performance already to back it up? And, you know, if I was not in that situation in t- 2004 where I was ar- already leading the, the, the country and uh, you know leading the world at that time, I would not have had the same earning potential. So now the, the sponsor wants to, to bet on me to, to become the next best thing. But there, yeah, there was you know two or three other girls that you know could have easily beat me at that national championships and only one of us would have got the thing and then we're all very close all season long and could have been uh, you know, great earners or great part, you know, mm-hmm, it, mm-hmm. it mattered in the way that we were compensated right out the gate. And that was also very subjective, objective. Mm-hmm. Like you mm-hmm. go and you negotiate that. Like they, they throw a number out and your agent has to go and say, you're worth this much more. Like there should just be a flat something that, that starts at least, you know, mm-hmm. sponsorship should be one of those things above and beyond, but your basic needs should be met somewhere in this process. And, and, they're, and they're currently not met um, for an Olympic hopeful. And so that's just really tough. Like you said, I was very fortunate in the sense that, like you said, I, I came on the scene as a showstopper. So I was a six-figure earner from the very beginning of my career um, and all the way until, look, I made it to bobsled. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like you said, that was one of the smaller sports where there is no money in. 
I came on without, you know, being able to show any real promise. And it was only six months until the game. So there was no way for anyone to, to jump on board and support me. There was no sponsorship because I was not on anyone's radar. Um, and so I basically was coming out of my own savings. You know, we did some family fundraisers and things like that because bobsled is expensive. That's the mm-hmm. other thing. You know, a pair of shoes is like 400 bucks. It's not like a, you know, 30 pair, pair $30 mm-hmm. pair of spikes <laughs> um, in track and field. Um, and if you're a driver, it's far more expensive. You know, you got to get runners, which are the actual things that go on the sled and easily start at 2000 and, and, and go up, you know, quite a bit. And that's your responsibility. Like, well, you can't, get, you can't get in the bobsled with, with no wheels, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, there's just, it's just not a, a good way to be able to describe what it's like. And one mm-hmm. of the things that's happened to me, you know, since I've joined the financial industry and I work with a bunch of Olympic athletes is I've become a lot more aware, you know, bobsled was the first eye opening experience. You know, I knew that there were different earnings in track and field and, you know, some people were unsponsored while I was sponsored. Um, I, I realized when I had to go from negotiating my first contract to my second, the way that, you know, people make up these values that all these values are made up. And so that fat contract I got the first time, um, immediately turned into, I don't even think it was a, qu- a quarter of mm-hmm. what was offered the first time, the second time. And I'm like, but wait, I, I, I got a medal in 04. I made the team in 08. Um, and it was 09 when I was renegotiating, I made the team in 09. So I've made every team. Uh, I granted, I only got one medal. And, and now you think I'm worth 25% mm-hmm. of what you've been paying me. Like, I feel like I should be getting an upgrade because I just earned some medals for you. Like what the heck? Um, it's it work like that. Yeah, it's definitely a system that is, I'm not going to say broken, but definitely could be fixed a little bit. Um, there is never, you know, you talk to, you know, there's always three sides to every story. Let's remember that, you know, you talk to the people up top and they say, well, this is why. And then you talk to the athletes and pretty much every athlete I've talked to said, yeah, a couple extra dollars would actually go a significantly long way. And, and, you know, running is a little bit different of a sport than sailing, than, than bobsled, you know, all these, so that the, the dollar amounts that come in from each sport is also significantly different than what is needed and the expenses of the sports themselves. So it's frustrating. It's one of those things where hopefully we'll be able to figure it out. Hopefully, you know, we can, um, we can team up, figure some of this stuff out and uh, hopefully be able to fix the start, start, do our best to at least put the wheels in motion to help fix the story a little bit. Yeah, I, I definitely something needs to be done, and I'm I'm looking for ways always to to be able to close that pay gap, and like you said, meet an athlete's basic needs. Because mm-hmm. like I said, what I what I've bumped into as a, a financial planner, and you know, just learning more about the stories of the other Olympic athletes as I've been going through this process, is that uh, there are gold medalists that don't make a hundred thousand mm-hmm. dollars a year um, after all their extra sponsorships and grants and everything you know, an, an Olympic gold medalist that can't clear six figures. I think that's a travesty. I uh, completely agree. That's, it's absolutely ridiculous. And basic needs at a minimum, you know, for, for some of the, you know, as you were a 20 year old, when you were going into your first games, you know, I've talked to 22, 23 year olds that, okay, mom and dad can't keep paying for everything. Like you have to start figuring it out, but they're not making pretty much any money because they're in a sport that they really don't gain a a significant amount of viewership. So obviously the dollar amounts coming in aren't going to be that huge. So the sponsor dollars aren't going to be that huge and half their job is raising money so that they can do their job. And it's, I just think as it's, it's a travesty, you use the perfect word. It's absolutely crazy. And to just to think too, that a lot of these athletes are like, well, I can suffer through this for a while because if I make it, things are going to get better. Mm -hmm. And then, like you said, to find out that, somebody gets to the point of making the gold medal and they can't clear six figures. You're like, 
what the F, what did I work so hard for? Mm -hmm. And I had a, you know, even if it's a 98,000 year, like not saying that's bad money, but you would think that if you are the best in the world on the Olympic stage for team USA, that someone would, even if it's Mm -hmm. $101,000, like Mm -hmm. what are you kidding me? Um, and especially after years and years of, like you said, a, a $20,000 or a $0, you know, working two or three job moment, you've made it this far and there, there is not a significant reward at the end of it. And so that's why I too try to just instill in people this idea that, you know, it can't be about the money. Mm-hmm. It's not fair and we deserve to be complicated, compensated fairly, but you showing up every day cannot be about the money because you'll be angry, you'll be bitter and you'll be out of the sport very fast. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. A hundred percent, hundred percent agree. So let's, let's transition that a little bit into, you know, what you're doing now, as we're talking about money a little bit. Now you, you know, are the founder of worth winning financial institution, as I said before, that caters to athletes and young um, entrepreneurs, young professionals. What, you know, obviously, as we've been talking, finance has always been an interest of yours. You have your MBA, you've been doing stuff to kind of get to this point. What in 2016, April, 2016, what made you click or, or the time period before that, what was just like, this is what I have to do. I figured it out and this I'm going for it. Well, the long story short of it is, especially since we're uh, winding down on time mm-hmm. is I had two crappy financial advisors while I was competing. So mm-hmm. despite being a finance major, I knew that I didn't know everything I needed to about personal finance and that I needed the help of an expert. I valued, you know, somebody who had expertise in this area, helping me figure this out and be responsible with my finances. Um, and the, the, the short story of is that they didn't understand what a 20-year-old needed uh, who was earning six figures uh, to know about money. Mm-hmm. They were very focused on investing and, you know, putting money aside. And there's nothing wrong with investing. I'm not, you know, that's, mm-hmm. that's definitely a part of the financial process, but it's not all of the financial mm-hmm. process. Mm-hmm. And when you don't have the fundamentals in place, then you set yourself up for success, for failure. Mm-hmm. Um, you need to know how to have a budget. You need to know what your monthly spending looks like. You need to know what it really means to spend less than you earn and at what rate you should be saving based on your goals. You need to set goals at 20. You know, like I'm brand new in the sport. I don't know how long I'm going to make it. I don't know, you know, what I'm going to do life after sport. I don't know what I'm going to do, you know, at age 65 when I retire, but somebody needs to have that conversation with me to just create a little bit of perspective. Because of course, at 20 years old, we all think we're Superman and we're going to live forever. Absolutely. I was, <laughs> I was at 20. I mean, 26, not so much, but hundred percent. That's what I believe at 20. Yes, we're invincible. And so just realizing that, you know, like as I came in touch with the idea that I wasn't invincible, um, as those two gentlemen didn't do a very good job for me and made some mistakes and didn't clearly articulate why the mistakes were made or, you know, what that meant for me. Um, and real like asking around with other people, like, Hey, is your guy putting you in a SEP IRA? Well, what is it exactly? Did he explain it? Cause my, my guy didn't explain it that well. And getting that response from friends of like, why are you all in my business? Or didn't anyone tell you it's rude to talk about money or my people handle that for me. I don't, I don't have to do, I don't have to worry about stuff like that. Cause my people handle it. It's the most ignorant thing that you mm-hmm. can say. Mm-hmm. That means you have no idea what's going on in your finances. Yep. And you're trusting someone else to do the right thing, which you should not. And so I base my company on educating, not enabling athletes, because far too often people say, you don't worry, you just get out there and compete. We'll take care of everything. And 
that leaves you lost and hopeless, mm-hmm. you know, at the point that that entourage disappears when you're done competing, uh, because most of those people go away. You don't need an agent anymore when you're done competing. But what you will need is a financial planner um, for out, throughout your whole life, because you'll always be managing it and trying to understand your money. So you want to look for that one person that's going to create the long-term relationship um, and really help you, like, set up a plan that's going to help you live the life you want and reach your goals. Money is just a tool to help you reach your goals. It is not the end result. It's not the, the, the epitome. It's not that thing that you stand on the, it's not the podium, you know, getting mm-hmm. all this money in the bank is not the podium. The, the point of the money is to live these experiences you want. And I really just feel passionately about being able to share that with other athletes and other young professionals. And that's why I started my company because I feel like, we need more time spent having the discussion around money, the discussion around what your goals are the same way that as an athlete, um, you need to have a discussion at the beginning of the season about like, what's the game plan here. And then we map out what each practice is going to look like, what each week is going to look like, you know, when we're going to race and when we need to be ready for the championship. That's the way that you need to approach your finances. And it's, it's a lot more long and drawn out than it is a one hour meeting that says, give me some of your money to invest it mm-hmm. and you go about your merry way. And I'll talk to you in six months when you got more money to give me to invest. Like mm-hmm. that's a bullshit. Like, sorry, I made it through the whole thing without coach, but Nope. It was passion. I love it. Keep going. We deserve better than that as young professionals and professional athletes. And it shouldn't be like a minimum amount of money that you have to have to get help of an expert. And that's the reason that I started my business was I don't have any minimums. If you just need a budget, then let's, let's talk about that. If you, are ready for the big shebang whole game plan. Let's do that too. You know, I'm starting to do group classes. And one of the things I'm really, um, like I said, passionate about is this idea that we need to start talking to each other because even if you don't hire a professional, you shouldn't feel uncomfortable going, um, you know, Hey girl, you know, like I said, do you have a SEP IRA or are you contributing to a 401k and how much money are you setting aside for taxes? Like that's a percentage. You don't have to say I have X number of dollars. I make, I make blank hundred of dollars a month or year or whatever. And I make, you know, I have this much in the bank, Like the numbers are not important. The strategy is what's important Mm -hmm. and being able to discuss that strategy with the people around you is going to make you better educated so that you can continue to make a better plan for yourself. Love it. That is passion. I'll take that bullshit because it's true. It's a (laughs) hundred percent true. As I told you, I used to be a financial advisor um, when I was a little bit younger than I am now. It was very difficult. So I respect everything that you're doing. It just personally was not for me. I was actually doing very well, whether you ask me or the company, maybe I wasn't, but we'll see. I think I was doing pretty well. Um, It was just the, uh, I just was not passionate about it. I, I finally did. I was lucky I found something that I was passionate about and it clearly you are passionate about that. So the last question that I wanna ask you um, actually the second to last question I want to ask you is what is, and I'm sorry, I know we went over on time a little bit, but this has been so much fun. And I hope, do you have another call you have to be on right now? Nope. Right. I'm, right. Look, I'm actually not late for something for the cool, first cool, time cool, today. Cool. Well, we will hopefully finish this in the next three or four minutes from your Olympic career, from that 10 year, you know, window that you were able to go to four different games. What's the one thing that you learned that you've been able to transition into your new business? The one thing that skill experience, something that you've been able to just take over and just, it's made it so much less difficult. Let's go with that to be an entrepreneur, to create this business and to become successful at it. I'd say perseverance, persistence, uh, because some days you get kicked in the face, uh, Mm -hmm. as an entrepreneur and 
some days you get kicked in the face as an athlete. You go to practice and your, your times just aren't there. And your coach is like, what the heck was this? And you go to a race and, you know, you just get the – you shut the door. Like, you're, you're last stinking place. And you're like, what the heck happened here? But what do you do? You get up and you go to practice again the next day. You don't just give up. Um, you show up for the next race next week. Like, you, you didn't do all that training for nothing to, to not continue to race just because you got beat down. Um, you know, if, if you're in a team sport, you got a game every week and one team has to win and one team has to lose. Like, you don't just pack it up and, and never compete again because you lost one week. Uh, it's that idea that, like, it hurts, but you get up every day and you continue to do it. Sometimes clients are going to tell you no. Sometimes you're going to work with clients that are not a good fit for you. Uh, and you're not going to know that till a little bit down the road because they got, you know, some emotional baggage tied to their finances. You can't help everybody. And that was a really hard one for me for mm -hmm. a while was, you know, like, I want to help everyone. I, I, I want to be the answer to everyone's problem. There's, there's 300 million people or something in the United States. I can't help 300 million mm -hmm. people. <laughs> and, you know, I'm just not going to be a good fit for the, for all of those people. So really understanding like this idea that, you know, one rejection is okay. You can get up and, and show up again the next day that, you know, what's for you is for you. No one can take that away. Uh, and not everything is for you. And so just being able to move on and show up again for, you know, whatever the next thing is that around that is around the corner um, you know, you're, you're, you're not going to be profitable the first day that you, you know, money mm -hmm. doesn't just fall out of the sky and you're a high earner. Like, you know, that's how, that's how my track career started. I, I went to a race and it, it, it changed my whole life. And I, I think a moment like that will happen at some point, but in general, like there was a lot of hard work that went into that moment that changed my life. Mm -hmm. And right now I'm doing that lot of hard work for that, for that moment that is quote unquote life changing. And I don't think that it's going to be the same where, like you said, money just falls out of the sky, but there will be like this true turning point where you're like, ah, oh, okay, I'm stable. I finally made it. And, but what happens in the meantime, that's persistence. Like show up every day, even when you get punched in the face, even when someone steps on your toe, even when they fire you, like, when you fire them, just show up. Love show up it. with good intention. Love it, love it, love it. That is phenomenal. That is so true too. Um, and you know, not not to be remiss, you have your MBA, you are you have your CFP, and you have your CFSLA. So it's clearly you know what you're doing. You know what you're talking about. Um, I think you picked a great niche uh, with athletes, young professionals, someone that you are understanding of and you're, you're, you're close with and you can understand as well. So that is phenomenal. So then my last question for you is, thank you. So let's start with that. Lauren Williams, one more time. You have your own podcast. So tell us a little bit about that. Give us a snippet. Give us enough that we'll want to come back and listen to it. Um, tell us where we can find it and a little bit about that, if you don't mind. Yes, the podcast is called Worth Listening. It is my favorite part of life right now. Uh, I, I'm not really like an extrovert in the sense of, you know, thinking that that was going to be a good fit for me. I'm not shy, but mm -hmm. I, was, I had a lot of anxiety about, you know, putting a platform out there and having to talk all the time and trying to figure out like how it was going to go from one week to the next. But I did. And it's, it's been like one of those big triumphant moments for me this year uh, to have this podcast up and running. It comes out every week on Tuesday. And the premise behind it is to get people feel, feeling comfortable about discussing money. 
Um, as I said before, it's that taboo topic that no one wants to talk about. And so I have guests come on. Uh, they are young professionals and other professional athletes, and they just tell their money memoir. Whatever your money story is, you, you get on and you share it with the world. And the idea is that the listener on the other end finds something that they can relate to and they start to feel more comfortable with, you know, hey, me too. I, I totally screwed up and got in debt. Hey, me too. I bought a house and it got foreclosed on. Or, you know, hey, me too. I've been a great saver my whole life. Hey, me too. Uh, my, my parents never talked about money or they always talked negatively about money. And that's now affected the way that I've grown up. And I think about money, you know, it's just to cause people to, to reflect and to start to think about like, what strategy can I put in place to feel more open, honest, transparent about this so that I can educate myself and, and get ready for financial freedom. Um, yeah, we just do, we do a word of the day at the end. So I don't do a lot of preachy financial planner education based mm -hmm. stuff. The, the education comes from you hearing someone else's story and hearing that, you know, this is what happened to them and that you too can survive whatever it is, if it's a bad thing or that you can grow that, that good habit because they've done it um, in, in the most, most unlikely of circumstances. So um, it's just that realness that connects people. Love it. Love it. Love it. And also where, um, you know, obviously I'm assuming we can find this on Apple, Google, possibly not Spotify. Cause I know they're kind of expensive, but pretty much where anywhere where podcasts are sold. I am on Spotify. Oh, I, I'm trying you. to get on iHeartRadio. That's my okay. next goal. Oh, okay. All right. All right. All right. Very um, cool. <laughs> so pretty much everyone in the country should be able to listen to you because either they have an iPhone, they have an Android or they use Spotify. So that is phenomenal. Yes. Lauren, Simply type in worth listening and you'll find me. Thank you so much. That is so awesome. I think you're doing a really cool thing, man. Keep crushing it. Keep rocking and rolling. Again, Lauren Williams. I have to say it one last time because it is pretty cool. The first women, <laughs> uh, the first U.S. woman to medal at both the winter and the summer games. Thank you so much, Lauren, for being here. We appreciate it. This was an awesome episode. I am going to pat myself on the back. You are a great interviewer and Thank you. podcaster. I really respect you being engaged in the process and asking good questions to bring the best information out of me. Well, I appreciate that. Hopefully um, people will hear that and they'll listen to some of the, uh, the, the next couple podcasts as well. Hey guys, thank you so much for listening to this episode of Our Athletes. I sincerely appreciate you taking your time out of the day to listen to what our athletes have to go through on a daily basis just to represent our country as elite um, at the highest possible level. So thank you guys so much. If you could rate, comment, share, subscribe, do whatever you got to do. I would love more people to listen to this because I truly believe that it'll be very inspirational, but at the same time, I truly believe that for the amount of blood, energy, sweat, tears, money that our athletes are putting into trying to represent our country, that the least we can do is listen to how they got there. So thank you guys so much. Have a wonderful, wonderful day.